Psalm 49 deals with the perplexity that I suspect we all feel from time to time where um, we're struggling with issues of, of life and yet those who have no regard for, for God or for Christ um, seem to live so well and we ask the question, why God don't you treat me better? Psalm 49. To the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom, the meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will include my ear to a proverb, I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble? when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches. Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice, that he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish, and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations, though they call lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence, yet after them people approve of their boasts. Like sheep they are appointed for Sheol, death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell, but God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will rescue me. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed, and though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers, who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. Amen. We're in the middle of a series of sermons on the Psalms, um, and I think we've been seeing just the, the range of these songs of the heart, these God-ordained prayers and songs, such a variety of colors we've seen. So I think a few weeks ago, Psalm 19, that the kind of heights of wonder, the heavens declare the glory of God, or the burst of joy in Psalm 16, my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices. And then last week, the depths, the real depths, the, the struggle, the sorrow. Psalms 42 and 43. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? I guess across the summer, there'll be folks of us feeling all of those things at the moment. And I hope we're finding these God-ordained prayers and songs a great comfort a great encouragement as they tackle the full spectrum of life and emotion. 
And the next two, so Psalm 49 this week and Psalm 73 next week, that's what we're doing, 49 and 73, um, tackle another area, and I've given them the title, Money Can't Buy You Life. There's an outline on the back of the service sheet if you want it, and the title overall for this week and next week is Money Can't Buy You Life. Because this psalm and the next one speak about rich people, prosperous people, powerful people in society. More specifically, they're written by a believer who's looking across at rich, non-believing people, people who care nothing for God but have piles of cash. They, they are psalms processing the believer's reaction to the unbelieving rich. So then, as we kick off, let me ask you, how do you feel about the rich? The rich and famous. What do you make of those headlines of, I don't know, Ronaldo getting a hundred million transfer fee to Juventus? Or if you're one of the many who's sick of football by this point, let me switch to the metaphor, uh, Kylie Jenner becoming a self-made billionaire. Or if that means nothing to you like it didn't to me before someone told me. Um, You see the BBC salary list. How much people get paid to talk. Amazing. That wasn't supposed to be a comment about me. Or, or closer to home, you're walking home from church through Morningside or, or through the Grange. Most of us have to walk away because we can't afford to rent or buy around here. And, and you just see that the massive houses, the kind of electric gates, the multiple cars, the, the huge, expensive family house. How do you feel about the rich? And I'm asking, how do you honestly feel? Because the one thing you can say about the book of the Psalms is it's honest. These God-ordained prayers are honest, refreshingly so. Over the next two weeks, we're not going to hear that kind of polite British response, you know, oh, oh, that's nice. That's just lovely. Nay, bother. (laughs) Well done, them. Not going to get that. We're going to get honesty. So next week, it will be envy. I mean, that's an honest reaction, isn't it? envy. I look across at at rich people and I want what they've got. They may not have God, but they have so much else. How come they have an easy, prosperous life while I'm following Jesus and I am struggling day by day? So come back for envy next week. But this week's reaction is fear. Fear. Just have a look at that. In verse 5 of our passage, it's page uh, 473 on the church Bibles if you've closed them. Verse 5 of Psalm 49. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches? Why should I fear the rich is the question. And then verse 16, if you look at the conclusion in 16. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich when the glory of his house increases. So the issue today is fear. Psalm opens asking, why should I fear the rich? And it concludes saying, be not afraid. Don't fear the rich and famous. Which I think on the surface sounds a bit odd, doesn't it? I mean, when I asked you, how do you feel about the rich? I wonder how many of us, our thoughts went to, honestly, I'm I'm a bit scared of them. It's a surprising question, I think. Why should I fear the rich? I think in the case of the psalmist from verse 5, if you look, it seems like um, 
he's come off on the wrong side of, of, of the rich. He, he's been cheated, it seems, by the rich around him. Maybe he's afraid of the power they have um, to do things to him in his life. But the psalm as a whole is much more general than that. The psalm as a whole is raising the question, generally for God's people, why would you be scared of the rich? And the more I've pondered it, the more relevant, hugely relevant, I think this is to us. I think we're actually far more intimidated by the rich and the powerful than we might think as Christians. Those who are impressive looking. So, let me give you an example. If you are a Christian here, who are the people you find it hardest to speak to about Jesus? If you're anything like me, it might be those who seem to have it all together. The success stories, the rich. I still remember a mince pie party um, as part of a kind of carol service thing that Jess and I hosted for some of our neighbours. And we were newly married, and we were hoping they'd come to ours for kind of mulled wine and then go on to a carol service. And a few of our neighbours did come round, um, and they said, we don't want to go to the church bit, but we'll, we'll come here. And we think, fine, good, we'll get to have conversations anyway. Sometimes that's the best thing, actually, just to have a friendly chat. We thought, we'll get a chance to, to speak about Jesus at some point. And the problem was, I'm ashamed to say, we became a bit intimidated by them. You see, as it turned out, our neighbours were a whole lot posher and older and richer than us. We lived in a small basement flat on this road in London. They lived in big Victorian mansions. We love to talk about how our, our, our IKEA furniture was free because we got it on the free cycle. And they chatted literally in the conversation about how many millions the last house on the road sold for. And we sat there just feeling small foolish, embarrassed for our kind of cheap wine, mismatched crockery, our kind of presumption that we would have something to offer them. Fearing the rich can silence our witness. And that was at home, but um, I guess you might have come across the same thing at work. When do we find it hardest to take a moral stand or act distinctively as Christians at work? to say what the Bible says if a topic comes up in conversation. Well, I guess it's when the boss is in the room, or the partner, or the supervisor, the professor, or the, the colleagues we know are the influential ones. I know for any here who've recently graduated, about to start um, a job in a big firm, that could be a huge danger. A senior friend of mine once said the investment bank he worked at ran on fear. And it's not just banks, is it? I remember sitting in a, a big kind of city law firm. I was there to lead Christianity Explored at lunchtime, being invited in by, by some folks there. And I remember sitting on a kind of plush leather sofa in this massive atrium. I was opposite a painting that I was sure was worth kind of more than my entire net worth. And again, feeling that sense of deep intimidation. What could I possibly offer these people who seem to have it all together? I think the same is true in, in kind of wider British society. Why as a church and, and churches across the land are we so kind of reluctant sometimes to speak up in the public sphere? Well, I think because we're sometimes overawed by the elites, the, the majority of the media, the majority of po politicians, rich and powerful people who have no time for Jesus. And so we can voluntarily stop talking. I think being intimidated by the rich is a real problem. At home, at work, at large, we're easily overawed 
by the seemingly successful. And so we need Psalm 49. We need Psalm 49 to set our thinking straight. You see, in this psalm, there's a promise that we're going to get some wisdom. That's verse 3. My mouth shall speak wisdom. There's, There's a nugget in here, a nugget of truth that will free us. It's so profound, it will free us from fearing the rich and powerful and famous. But actually, the psalm's not just addressed to Christians or to the small and the scared. Have a look at how it opens, verse 1. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor, together. So if there are any celebrities on their summer holidays or cabinet ministers, um, members of the Scottish Parliament who've slipped in, millionaires, well, actually, this psalm is as relevant to you as it is to the rest of us. There's wisdom here that every single human needs to hear. From people moving bins to Beyonce. And the wisdom tackles this question, why should I fear the rich? There are two parts to the answer. You'll see that on the handout. Why should I fear the the rich? Part one, part A, when money can't ransom anyone from death. And then part B, God will ransom and receive me. Those are our two points. Um, Let's dive into verse 6 onwards to to see the first part of that answer. So verse 5, why should I fear in times of trouble? Um, Verse 6, those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches. Now here's the answer. Verse 7, truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. There's the answer. The rich may have lots of money, and we can be honest, lots of money does give you lots of power. It gave them power over the psalmist in verse 5. They were able to cheat him. We don't know how. Did he miss a promotion? Did he not get a fair deal? Who knows? Riches provide real power. You can buy your way to all sorts of things in life, but not death. Verse 7, truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. So death is the one area where having rich friends or a great family inheritance or a heaving bank account or assets that you could liquidate at any moment, well, it won't help you in the slightest. Sterling is just not worth anything when you hit the grave. Why, verse 8? For the ransom of their life is costly, and can never suffice. You just can't afford it. It's too costly. Now let me give us a quick definition here of ransom in verse 8. What is a ransom? Well, it's a hostage payment. Um, So think kind of, I don't know, Somali pirates demanding 3 million quid for the, the release of a captured tourist. Except the problem with death is, well, it can't be bought off with 3 million quid. If it could, then the rich would be fine. Just write a check. Just, just call my banker in Switzerland. But the fact is, three million doesn't cut it. So what is the price? What, what's the kind of going price for a human life in the Bible? What would it take to kind of settle the debt, to, to free someone from death's grip? Well, to answer that, we need to 
back up a bit, go back to Genesis 3, uh, where death first enters, and see why humanity became hostages to death in the first place. And the answer is simple, but it's also scary. The answer to why we're hostages to death is that we deserve to be. Christians are people who've come to realize that. That actually, though God is a good creator, our good maker and sustainer, the giver of all good gifts, humanity as a whole and individually have rejected him. We've all turned to our own way. And what happens if you reject the giver of life? Well, he himself warned, you will surely die. So all that means, we're not kind of innocent victims. We haven't just been ambushed by a kind of greedy pirate. No, we're hostages to death because we rebelled against God. We're on death row as a punishment from God. It's just, we actually deserve to die. So when you go back to the question, what's the price of a life? How big a bribe would open the doors of death row? Well, here's the problem. God will not be bribed. Verse 8. The ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. God doesn't accept cash or card. The only way there would be to get out would be to live a perfect life. Then we justly deserve eternal life, loving God, loving others. But the problem is none of us have done that. And none of us could do that, even if we turned over a new leaf now. Incidentally, this shows the absurdity of those who think that just by giving some money to church or time or or giving some money to charities, making sacrifices perhaps for the good of others, that that would somehow win God over. It's a very common thought. I know I've done some bad things, but maybe if I gave a lot, that would balance it out. Absolutely not. No man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. I hope we remember that, actually, when we come to the autumn. We're going to be talking about our giving as we prepare for the church plant and all the costs that that involves. And I really hope we remember that we do not give to buy ourselves into God's favor. I hope we remember that. Striking, even the Old Testament sacrifices, which were expensive and God-ordained, even those weren't enough. So two Psalms later, when David, King David has committed adultery, he says this, you will not delight in sacrifice, you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. David says, it doesn't matter how many bulls you buy and you burn at church. It doesn't matter how much you give. How many nurseries you build, how many development projects you sponsor, how many thousands you give. No man can give the price of his life. And so I wonder if we're starting to see why it's foolish to be intimidated by the rich. Yes, in life they have a lot of influence, a lot of power, even over us, perhaps. But when it comes to death, they've got nothing. None of us have. We're all in the dock. So that's the big first point. Why should I fear the rich when money can't ransom from death? It's ultimately useless. And if you're sitting there thinking, okay, I see that. In this specific area of life after death, money can't do much. But to be honest, I don't think about the afterlife anyway. I've got too much on at the moment. It's not that big an issue. It's ages away. 
what really matters in the summer is kind of how am I going to pay for my holiday or how am I going to get more so I can have a better holiday next year or how can I get my hands on the, the car or the house I'd love or get to the right fringe gigs or the tickets to the best restaurants? How can I get rid of financial worry? All of that is what's pressing on my mind. Well, I think if we're thinking money can help me with the useful stuff, the stuff I'm certain of, and we don't really know what's coming, why think about the future? I think that's why verses 10 to 13 come in. Verses 10 to 13 remind us that death really is coming. Verse 13 talks about people having foolish confidence. And I think the confidence there, the foolish confidence being talked about, is this idea that that focusing on becoming wealthy or famous or successful in this life could be a higher priority than getting death sorted, sorted out. I mean, just think how foolish that actually is. The statistics are really clear. I've said that before. One in every one person dies. It's not an uncertain future. It's the certain future. They sometimes say that the two certainties of life are death and taxes, But it seems like if you've got enough money, you can pay someone very clever to find a way to get out of the taxes. (laughs) You can't do that with death. You cannot do that with death. Truly, no man can ransom another. No amount of financial advisors can help you on that day. And it can't be avoided. So so just think of the folly of spending, spending all of life chasing the money to give you the power to do the things that you may never get to do all the time missing the universal certainty heading in your direction. Look at verse 10. For he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations, though they call lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain. He's like the beasts that perish doesn't actually matter how clever or how rich or how famous, whether you get a first, whether you make a million, whether you buy a holiday home, whether you get a boat named after you or lands in your name. In 80 years, you'll own none of it. They must perish and leave their wealth to others. I mean, you could, you could take any example. Just think, was the life of Steve Jobs a success? In many ways, he was a great man. Great man. I mean, he was revered, obviously, by many. He was a visionary leader. He was a brilliant mind. He reshaped the phone industry and the music industry um, and all sorts of other industries to come, probably. He remade Apple into the richest company on the planet. So many people would look a- across and approve of the way he used his life. And yet, all of Apple's fortunes cannot ransom from death. The really big question was, was Steve ready to meet Jesus? I don't know the answer. I fear not. But there really is no discrimination on that day. No favoritism, no respect of class, wealth, intellect, fame, reputation. Man in his pomp will not remain. And true wisdom, the kind of wisdom the Bible gives us, doesn't just kind of bury reality under the carpet. I'd rather not think about this. Can't we talk about something different? The sun's shining. True wisdom 
doesn't bury death under kind of euphemisms and jokes and, and let's talk about something else or sentimental platitudes. God just tells it straight, breaks through the fluff and says money can build you a big box to die in but it cannot ransom you. But this psalm isn't just kind of hard-hitting. It's actually a psalm full of good news, and that's what we're turning to now. Good news from verse 15. This is our second point. God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol. That is the place of the dead. God will ransom my soul from the power of the grave. He will receive me. Verses 14 and 15 are actually, I think, the most shocking verses in the psalm. Um, shocking both because they're terrifying in their imagery of death and shocking because for the remarkable hope they put forward. Let's start with the, the horror of verse 14. Look at how humanity are described here. Like sheep, they're appointed for shale. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning their form shall be consumed in shale with no place to dwell. It's a sobering set of images. Verse 14 speaks of, of being led not by a kind of caring, loving shepherd, but by death itself. It's like death has booked an unmissable appointment. They already belong to his flock. It's, it's like saying humanity already in the queue towards the crematorium. And it is shocking imagery. The end of verse 14, their form shall be consumed, no place to dwell. Those who had such big houses, lands named after them, end up homeless, helpless, consumed. What Jesus Christ talked about as hell. It's a horrible picture. It's a frightening picture. You think of those sheep not even realizing where they're headed. I don't know, maybe in the back of the lorry, happily munching the grass, making sure they have more grass than other sheep. All the time, not realizing where the lorry's headed. Death driving them. It's a shocking picture, but then there is this Extraordinary hope. A shred in verse 14, there's a second group, the upright, who rule over them in the morning. And then verse 15, it comes, breaks through, full color. Verse 15, God will ransom my soul from the power of shale. He will receive me. God will ransom my soul. Every human being is going to be received, either by this kind of hideous darkness of death and God's judgment, or by this loving embrace of God. And the difference, what makes the difference? Well, it's, again, ransom. Notice that, verse 15, God will ransom my soul. It's this hostage payment, the price on our life. We can't buy our way, but God can pay the price. That's what the psalm's saying. And actually, I think at this point in the Bible, that's a really amazing thing. I don't know how much you know the Old Testament. Um, but up to this point in the history of God's people, there have been hints that there's something after death. But this is so clear. It's one of the first moments it kind of breaks through as God un un unfolds his plan step by step. A clear sign that death is not the end. There is something wonderful beyond. 
At this point, we're not told how it works. We're told that God's going to provide a ransom. But how? Well, you have to read on. You have to get to Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus on the cross to pay the price. So later, uh, the apostle Peter writes this to some Christians. Listen closely for the ransom language. 1 Peter says this. You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. Well, we know that because Psalm 49 says you can't pay money, not with perishable things like gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So money can't pay the price, but Jesus' perfect life of obedience can. Jesus, the God-man, stepping into our shoes, living the life we should have, dying the death we deserve, paying a ransom, buying us freedom. It's extraordinary. only happens every so often that you see a rescue on the news that is from such a dire situation and is so successful, just fills us with joy. And the Bible story, the story of the universe, is a much, much more desperate situation than being trapped in that cave. Much worse. And the price that was paid, much higher. It's because of Jesus Christ that these sons of Korah and the Israelites they were leading could sing this psalm that God would provide a rescue, a ransom. It's because of Jesus that we can pray this psalm at the deathbed of those who are seriously ill. It's the heart of the good news of Christianity. I, don't, I spoke to a couple of people this week for whom summer is quite a hard time, feeling really low at the moment. It's a good thing to come back and meditate on this. What an extraordinary gift we have in the Lord Jesus who paid my debt, ransomed my soul. If you're not a Christian, this is the reason to become one. And to become one soon, because we never know when death is going to take us. And there's no other way to clear the moral debt. But actually, for those of us who are believers here, the application is spelt out in verse 16. And it's back to this issue of fear, verse 16. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. Don't fear the rich. I wonder if we understand why now. I think this is a, this is a psalm that, that's a puzzler. Verse 4 suggests it's a puzzler. You've got to think on it, reflect on it. Facing death, money has no answer, but Christianity does. If you had the choice of being a poor Christian or a millionaire who doesn't know Jesus, psalmist says it, it's a no-brainer. Only one of those are ready for death. And so the wise conclusion is don't be intimidated by appearances. Don't judge just by how things look right now. So verse 18, yes, though while he lives, he counts himself blessed. And though you get praise when you do well for yourself, the reality is, verse 17, when he dies, he'll carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. Summer can be a time when routines are broken. Maybe we're not seeing church family quite as much as we normally would. It's easy to just start to drift a bit from what God says, to start judging things just by what our eyes see, start looking sideways at friends 
family who don't know the Lord Jesus and think their life looks a bit easier or better or richer. Psalm 49 reminds us, true wisdom doesn't judge by today alone or by appearances alone. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like beasts that perish. This week I spent some time with a precious member of our church family who, um, who's coming towards the end of their life. I actually thought that might be the end of their life as we were together. Let me tell you, as we sat and read the Bible and prayed, there was nothing that money could do to prepare them for what lay ahead. And the amazing thing was, they had rock-solid confidence, real assurance. They knew they were ransomed. They, They just knew they were accepted, forgiven, ready to meet their Heavenly Father. It was just a glorious thing. I guess it's not always with that kind of 100% confidence, but it was this time, and I will remember that morning for years to come. I think it's good for those of us who are young to spend time with those who are elderly or seriously ill or approaching death to see what really matters. And so Psalm 49 says, don't be intimidated by those who seem to have it all together. It'd be a good thing to reflect on. Who is it that I'm overawed by as a Christian? Who is it that I struggle to speak to about Jesus or I'm tempted to not live as a Christian around? It'd be a good thing to talk about. You sometimes, you sometimes see those self-help manual type things who say, if you're scared speaking to people, um, Maybe you should, you should picture them kind of in their underwear. Maybe that would help. You sometimes see that. You'll be pleased to know I haven't adopted that approach ever. Um, I think Psalm 49, and on this I'll close, I think Psalm 49 would say, and I don't say this crassly, I think Psalm 49 would say, we should picture our friends, our neighbours, our colleagues, our bosses, those we're intimidated by, we should picture them on their deathbed, on their sickbed. We should pitch them the day before they die. And then think, there is really good news to share with them. Why would I stay quiet? Why would I have that reaction I had with our neighbours of what could I possibly give to them? Verse 1, hear this, all peoples, give give ear, all inhabitants of the world, low and high, rich and poor together, Truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, but God will ransom through Christ my soul from the power of Sheol. He will receive me. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have paid a price we never could. Thank you for your grace and the free offer of forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. In his name, amen.